So when you notice yourself caught in a negative pattern, don't actually get judgmental, get curious because the judgment, the inner bullying doesn't actually change behavior. But when you get really curious, you can determine and self-reflect your own patterns, but that's why you need that kindness and that curiosity to problem solve. You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Stories That Sell. And today I have with me Jennifer Brockstroman. And if you have been listening, you've heard her before. So Jennifer is owner of Nutrition RX. She's a cancer survivor. She has an incredible story to, to tell. Uh, <laughs> I went into my stories that sell mode, but she has an incredible story to tell. So I had to get her back on. Now, before you listen to this episode, you, you really got to listen to this episode because I know that this story is going to be incredible. Go back and listen to the episode with uh, her and Lindsay Van Schoik that airs before this one to hear the story of what they are doing now and the impact that's going to carry. But right now, welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thanks for having me back. This is a ton of fun. Yes, it is. This is what I love doing. I love talking to people, hearing their stories. And you had so much more to say from that mm-hmm. last episode. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even get to ask her about X, Y, and Z. I didn't get to ask her about uh, being a cancer survivor. I didn't get to ask her about her own food things and what really got you into nutrition. So uh, you, your business is Nutrition RX, and now you've launched a new business called um, Prosper Nutrition. Correct. Yeah, I got it right. No notes in front of me. Crush uh-huh. it. <laughs> so, um, like, I other than just kind of giving you the reins to tell your story and why you do nutrition and why you're so passionate about it, and then possibly move into the whole um, cancer cancer yeah. part of your story because uh, cancer, I think, has so much to do with food, and I'm looking forward to hearing your input on that. So, you know, what is it? What what is the story that got you here? Oh man, this is a pretty crazy backstory. I don't think I could have scripted this even if I tried. (laughs) So I'm going to go back all the way to high school. Um, I was always a really driven kid. You know, I played sports. I think I got a part-time job when I was eight years old, delivering papers. Like I just, you know, had a great work ethic right, right from the get-go. But in high school, my family had a pretty traumatic month where a whole bunch of things happened that like kind of changed the course of my life. So my dad had an incredibly serious heart attack. Wasn't really overweight, but just a high stress job, a really hard worker. Um, and I re- it happened on Thanksgiving day. He had it on the ice playing hockey, like haha, stereotypical Canada, right? There's hockey again. And his friends basically like drove him to the hospital. So my mom went there and 
didn't realize how bad it was till she got to the hospital. And I had just gotten my driver's license where I was able to like drive independently. And my mom called me and she's like, you need to get your brother and sister in the car and come say goodbye to your dad. Like, we don't think he's going to survive this heart attack. He had something called the Widowmaker, which is one of the most like important arteries that feeds the heart was very blocked. And he, you know, was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. He had a number of surgeries. They were able to save his life. But like, that was the moment I thought I was going to lose my dad. And uh, the day my dad got out of the hospital, my sister got run over by a van that was um, illegally driven, had no brakes, had failed safety inspection. The guy had no insurance, no license. And so I'm sitting at the kitchen table with my dad. You know, he has just come home from the hospital and my mom gets this call and you just see her face drop. And they're like, you need to go meet us at the hospital. Your daughter's just been hit by this van and just has been run over. So like in a month, our family just went through so much stress. And so what's interesting, this is kind of how the disordered piece starts to fit in, is it's such an interesting mental health illness and you realize that it's not a choice. Like it's not something people voluntarily choose to have. And I'm gonna explain even the cancer journey, how again, it's like not voluntary, but it's this perfect storm of life circumstances, genetic predispositions, and I would say stress. Like even the patients that I see treat today as a registered dietitian, it's a way to have some control when you feel like your whole world is out of control. So I'm this 16 year old with no necessarily like mental health coping skills. This is the first time I've ever been challenged in such a difficult mental health way. And so for me, when I thought I'm maybe going to lose my dad, my sister's been in the hospital. She's been just been hit by this van, controlling my food and controlling my exercise was a way for me to have some sense of I can, I can manage things because like, and I guess the other thing that's a bit weird or anyone that's had disordered eating can relate is because as you become more malnourished, it becomes more and more all consuming. It numbs you out to the other problems. Mm. So in a way, disordered eating becomes like a drug where you use it to self-medicate. And it's like a pain you're familiar with to not have to deal with an emotional pain you're less familiar with. And that's how I started to stumble down the like disordered eating road. And it first became as food restriction and then it became exercise abuse. I remember teachers asking like if I was okay and I'd be like, oh, I'm just stressed. Like, you know, a lot's going on at home. And there was always a convenient excuse to, you know, why I was skipping lunch or why I was just eating a small spinach salad for dinner. And then I just started to run because when I ran, I would run hard and I'd run fast and I wouldn't feel pain. Uh, I would feel physical pain, but I wouldn't feel mental and emotional pain. And I ran and I ran and I ran. And I remember like running with uncontrolled levels of volume, like things I would never endorse for my clients where I'd go like, oh, I'm going to go run a half marathon today because I just want to, you know, clock off that distance and burn those calories. And it got to the point where I broke my tibia. Like I stress fractured my tibia and my leg, but I kept running and I just dealt with the pain. And it really sucked me in deep. And then it kind of like, you realize you're in deeper than you need mean to be. And I almost describe it, and my clients can really relate, where if you're like swimming in the ocean and you get caught in an undercurrent and the undercurrent starts to take you out deeper and deeper, and all of a sudden you realize you can't see or touch bottom. And then you realize you're in a really scary place. So at that point I was 
maybe eating five or 600 calories a day. I was counting everything that went in my body and trying to burn double what I ate. And, you know, like everything started to fall apart. Everything, like your health, your, your mental health, your, like everything just sucked, but I didn't really know what to do. So seeing my dad have his heart attack and then going through that myself, I was lucky enough that I got finally paired up with a registered dietitian Mm. and she sat down with me and she was so compassionate, so not judgmental. She did not make me feel like I was a bad person that I got caught in this riptide and pulled out into the ocean of disordered eating. She met me exactly where I was at and she started to educate me on what a body needs for health, on what an athlete needs to fuel properly for performance. She taught me so much. I am still friends with her to this day. She is one of my mentors. I meet with her every year and we do like a, almost like a professional, spiritual, emotional health powwow with two other top Canadian dietitians. Um, Like she is a soul sister. She literally saved my life. And from that, I started to ask if I could learn about the career of a registered dietitian as I got really into truly learning what healthy eating was. And we always had a very healthy environment as kids. Like I took it for granted, you know, that I grew up in a healthy food environment, but that that month of crisis, that was the environment that like, I must've had a genetic predisposition and the loaded gun and like all those stressors just like sucked me into the ocean of it. And she gave me that lifeline and she pulled me back into shore and I worked with her and I did a little bit of therapy and I decided I wanted to go to school and, and learn about, I knew I wanted to be in a helping profession. I knew I wanted to be in the healthcare system, but I didn't want to do sick care. I wanted to do healthcare. I wanted to make an impact to prevent people like me from going through what I had to go through. I wanted to teach people what a really healthy relationship with food and exercise could look like. And it wasn't an overnight process, but I really explored what healing needed to look like and be to get to a wonderful place. So it was maybe a few years recovery. I never did need inpatient, although I got pretty close. Like I think I lost maybe 40 pounds in three or four months, which was like, I did not have that to lose. Like it was, I I looked very scary. If you look back on those photos, Um, but what I remind my clients is like that 16 year old girl did the best she could with the tools she had, with the skill set she had at that point in her life. And as I learned more tools and as I added to my toolbox, I now learned how to deal and sit with discomfort, how to be highly stressed and find these more positive channels, like going for a walk or going to therapy or petting my dog or calling a friend. Um, but I just remember being a very isolated and scared and overwhelmed teenager. And that was all I knew how to do at the time was to restrict and, and run and go hurt myself essentially. So I, I went through university and, you know, became a dietitian and my internship year was so much exposure to the healthcare system of sick care. You know, the government in Canada only really pays for nutrition counseling when you're ready to go get an amputation because your diabetes is so bad. When you've had the mega heart attack and you're going in for, um, you know, like a, a cardiac surgery, they don't really invest in the upfront part of healthcare. And so I had so many people tell me that entrepreneurship was risky and stupid and scary and you should work for someone else first and figure it out. And I, I just knew my calling was too strong that I couldn't delay. 
Like I was like, I can't even waste another year of my life working for someone else or working in the hospital, doing sick care. I have to just start to do this. And I'm going to maybe make a lot of mistakes and I'm going to figure this out as I go along. But I knew I had to start teaching people about how to eat healthy. And that's where NutritionRx was born. I actually created my company as a student on a work study grant for student entrepreneurs in university. And I applied for this little $3,000 government grant. And I remember it bought me my little projector for my, you know, my public workplace wellness talks and my sports nutrition talks. And I think I bought like a desk and two chairs and, you know, like, and it helped to pay a little bit for my website. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got so much money. This is so great. So I started my company on $3,000, like with this little entrepreneur grant, um, I was a little sponge and I worked with the business mentors at our small, small business center. Again, I'm really like feisty. I was like, how do I find resources, you know, low cost books or free books from the library? I connected with our small business center in our town. And I was like, do you guys have mentors for new entrepreneurs? Like, I don't know a thing about what I'm doing, but I'm really excited to start this company. What can you teach me? And they just let me book free appointments with their small business mentors. And they helped me write a business plan. They helped me do market research. They helped me figure out packaging and pricing. I mean, it's obviously evolved 10 times over since that very first meeting, but I just knew I had to get started, even if it was imperfect action. And, and that was 11 years ago. And, and that was Nutrition RX and the snowballing of success year after year after year has just like blown me away. So I'll give you a chance to kind of jump in, but that's, that's kind of how Nutrition RX came to be. Hey, before we get started, imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. The Ace for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R-gyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. Yeah, which is which is such a cool story. And the the emotions, I love that you unwrap the emotions and the events that led to your own journey. Mm. I think there's a lot, a lot to be learned there. I think there's a lot of connections people need to make, like with why they have the patterns they do. I heard the term control, or I kind of came to with up mm. terms of there's, you had control over, over things. There was an escape right. element to yep. you were escaping. Um, mm. And then maybe even a numbing, like a numbing yes. of what was going on. Why do you like, we're going to get back into your story, but with probably the thousands of clients you've used who might have eating, you know, disordered eating patterns. Mm -hmm. What are some of the big ones? I, you know, you just mentioned some of the ones that you were facing. I know there's others out there. Yeah. There's a really great book that helped me connect the pieces and it's called the power of habit. It's by Charles Duhigg. It's like a yellow covered book with a red Ferris wheel. You probably have it. There it is right on your bookshelf. That's awesome. <laughs> and the best thing I can summarize from his book is three words. The pattern goes trigger, habit, reward. So I think of it like an arc. The trigger, what I ask my clients to do, whether they binge eat or whether they starve themselves or whether they drink or whatever it might be, the, the, the ultimate behavior in the middle 
is don't actually get hypercritical of yourself of the bad behavior, air quotes. Think of it like you are just watching a video surveillance of a life, but I always use three words, be curious, be kind, but be incredibly honest. So curiosity, kindness, and honesty. And on the trigger side, all you're trying to do is watch a movie and collect the data, collect the feedback, collect the pieces, because there's patterns that happen before specific behavior takes place. It could be a, a thought, I deserve this. It's been a hard day. It might be, I'm lonely, I'm sad. I felt like I didn't have friends. I felt like I wasn't like, boys didn't like me. So I was like, well, maybe if I get skinnier, like I'm gonna be more, like it was all these things. And it was also just, I'm scared for my dad. My, I'm gonna lose my dad. My sister's now like severely hurt from this car accident. So it was feelings of fear feelings of overwhelm, feelings of loneliness, feelings of pain, you know, and when was it that I would hurt myself or do those activities? It would be when I felt overwhelmed, then the reward was just what you said. It was feeling in control, numbing out, escaping. But for people that stress eat, it might be, this relaxes me. This is the first time in the day I get me time or de-stressing time. Oh, this is our cuddle up on the couch and watch Netflix with a big bowl of chips together. It's couple bonding time. So our brain likes to connect patterns that bring a reward. Usually it's a more immediate reward. We don't necessarily connect that the immediate reward might be causing long-term harm because I'll give you the example of like burning your hand on the stove. My guess is most of the listeners here don't turn on their stove and like, I'm going to burn my hand. This is a really great Friday night activity because the pain doesn't connect that to a reward. It connects pain. So it doesn't create a loop, but things that make us feel happy, relaxed, calm, numbed out, escaped, having senses of control. Those are rewards for a discomfort, emotional state. So when you notice yourself caught in a negative pattern, don't actually get judgmental, get curious because the judgment, the inner bullying doesn't actually change behavior. But when you get really curious, you can de determine and self-reflect your own patterns, but mm. that's why you need that kindness and that curiosity to problem solve. So I started to explore what were the triggers and why did I keep doing these behaviors? What was the reward connected? And then almost like, I'm going to date myself, but like a VHS videotape, you pop out and eject the old tape. And as you learn better tools in your toolbox, you can pop a better solution into the behavior part of the center of the loop. So now I might be anxious and I go for a walk, or maybe I do a, a therapy appointment and I'll talk about therapy and cancer. And that was really important. Maybe I call my mom or I call my friend, Lindsay. Maybe I hang out and dance with my dog, or I ask my husband for a really long hug and a cuddle on the couch, or I go for a hike and I connect with nature. So now I have like 10 great movies. I can pop into the tape player. And when I notice, I feel those emotions of distress and being triggered. I now know how to get to the feeling of reward in a way that I don't hurt myself. So that would be the best lesson I can give anyone in the audience is like, I always say, kick the inner bully out of the room. She or he is not allowed to be a part of the conversation. And just this curious, kind, honest reflection, what pattern is taking me to this reward? Yeah, this is so good. It's so funny. I was, um, I'm on my own nutrition journey and it's the best one I've ever been on because there's not over emotion. I've really started to mm -hmm. like, make like, some connections. Yeah. And uh, I realized there's, I may have hit like a ceiling with my, like where I'm going with this. Like I feel mm -hmm. phenomenal, but I still don't have the body comp that I really want. And, you know, right. you, 
and I'm I'm paying more attention to uh, how I feel than yeah. how much I weigh. That's good. Uh, I was also thinking back on a few days, and I'm like, okay, I'm everything I'm eating is really good. It's it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. What other what other things do I need to pay attention to? And I started to think about when do I eat when do I eat in between meals and I mean, it's important to get the right amount of nutrients and the right amount of calories, but mm-hmm. I don't track it because I want to enjoy mm-hmm. my life. Yes. But yeah. I'm also starting to connect the dots between, oh, when X happens, I grab a handful of this. Yes. And that, and then I love what you said is like, play that video back mm-hmm. without judgment because it's so yeah. easy to put judgment in there. Oh, like mm-hmm. my brain is it literally turned a knob in my brain. I'm like, Oh, this is so good. So thank you for oh, that golden nugget. So, yeah. um, so I love the the journey of entrepreneurship as well. I mean, you just mm-hmm. you laid out what almost everybody who's started a business has gone through. You actually sought out a lot of help, which is something that a lot of people don't do. And I think that was yeah. pretty awesome. Um, so, so here you are young and just, you have this business. Yeah. So I'll kind of now bring in the cancer piece. So I'm just cruising along and I'm always someone that like, I, I, I'm not, I, I'll get uh, like, I don't mean to put myself down. I'm not always the smartest person in the room, but I'm a very hard worker. And I love learning from people smarter than me. Like if I can get in a room where everyone else is smarter than me, then I'm in the right room. Cause I'm going to grow. I'm going to get better. And there's always lots to learn from, you know, brilliant people. And I love reading books about entrepreneurs and people, their journey of how they've, you know, gotten to where they are. And I love the the mindset of a book because a book forces someone to really distill their lessons into four to 10 to 12 hours of wisdom. And you're downloading a decade or more of someone's lessons in a really, really effective way to learn. So I did a lot of book reading and every year Nutritioner X grew and grew and grew. One of the secret pieces is I learned this style of coaching called motivational interviewing. And what motivational interviewing is, is where you learn to ask powerful, wise questions, but you really let the other person have the space to explore, reflect, and set the destination of where they're trying to go. And you're just almost in a way being their mentor and their guide, but you're not wagging your finger and telling them, this is what you have to do when you can't do that because they know themselves the best. They know their life the best. They know their successes the best. They know their struggles the best. You're more of a sounding board and a facilitator. And I got really good at listening and really good at asking great questions. And in that moment, like things shot to the moon. I had a four month wait list. I didn't want to raise my rates, but I like had to raise my rates because I had too many clients. I had to bring on new dietitians to come work for me because we were getting 200, 300, 400 new nutrition clients a year. And I just could not work with them all myself one-on-one. Like it just, I've never paid for an ad in my life. I have not done a Google or a Facebook or an Instagram ad. It's all organic word of mouth because clients were valued, respected, heard, listened to. And not only that, they were getting results because I was just supporting the great decisions they were making for themselves to reach their own goals. So things were just going amazing. And then on top of that, 
you know, I forgot to mention that outside of Nutrition Rx, I was also a full-time university professor. So oh, wow. I was teaching foods and nutrition classes. I taught a first year intro to nutrition. Um, I taught an advanced sports nutrition course. I um, I don't like to brag as a Canadian, but like I won the teaching award for the entire university as like the best instructor that year, um, just based on student feedback. My course got so popular with sports nutrition, it went from one section to two sections to three sections to four sections. I was like, guys, I don't have any more hours in my week to teach any more sections, but they're like, you have such a wait list, but the passion of teaching was just so fun. And I could kind of connect like the stuff I was doing with my Olympic athletes, my NHL hockey players, my high level varsity athletes and tell those stories in the classroom. So I think the students really liked that. I knew the theory, plus I could bring in like the fun real world experience. So things were just like unbelievable. Like I had to wake up and pinch myself and be like, is this real life? Like, oh my gosh, my dream day is every day. And then, and on top of that, you know, I've always been a high level athlete. So I was a varsity rower, a varsity hockey player in university. I did high level CrossFit. So I've been to regional score times as an individual, um, you know, trained really competitively. So I was peak fitness, really healthy eater, careers going well, but there was one thing that was always kind of lurking in the background. I was always sick and I didn't understand why. Mm. I had dialed in my sleep. I had dialed in my nutrition. I was doing yoga and box breathing and meditation. And I was like, I don't know what else is left. Like I've, I've literally tried it all, but I just kept taking care of myself. And I just thought, you know, if this is just what happens. Like when I get a cold, it would take me four to eight weeks to recover. My lymph nodes were always like golf balls in my neck. My groin lymph nodes were always like ping pong balls. Um, my dog actually saved my life. So I caught the flu, H1N1, and I had such a breathing emergency that my dog went and woke my husband up because I was like turning blue and was so full of mucus, I couldn't breathe. And so I had quarantined myself in the guest bedroom. I was so sick to not get my husband sick. And my dog was sleeping at the foot of the bed and she leapt down, ran to my husband, our bedroom, woke my husband up at two in the morning and like pulled on him to be like, come with me. He walked in and saw I was blue, took me in the car to emerge. And basically they like took me and like re revived me. Like I, I was like, oh my gosh, I get why people die of the flu. Like I did not think young, healthy people die of the flu, but I actually came very close to dying of the flu. And ironically, this medical emergency actually helped me realize I had cancer. So the doctor, bless his heart, was like, something isn't adding up here. Because I had one previous breathing emergency the year prior when I was so sick. And I actually had to drop out of my training for regionals, what would have been my fifth regional appearance, because I like nearly died. And this is two weeks before the open started for CrossFit. And the doctor's like, no, like this is not just a typical flu. He's like, you're too young, you're too healthy, you know, you're having all these GI upset things, you have way more mucus in your lungs than like what we should see. He's like, you might actually have cystic fibrosis. Like you might just be a very high functioning, like CF individual. He's like, I'm just gonna send you for a bunch of testing, but like idiopathic, like there's something going on here, but this is the flu and something else. Like we this is atypical, I, I can, my spidey senses are up, like something's not right. So I was in the medical system for two years. They did lung scans and they're like, yeah, you have a lot of scarring in your lungs, but we don't know why your lungs are so scarred. And then they did some, you know, like 
cystic fibrosis testing and they're like, you do produce a little more sweat, like salt in your sweat, not enough to be diagnosed as CF, but like, that's a bit off. And then I did all this blood work and they're like, your blood works squeaky clean and perfect, but you're right. Something's still going on. So they're like, you have something autoimmune. We just don't know what to diagnose you with. Like, you know, it's not Lyme disease. It's not like, they just couldn't figure it out. So finally I got slotted in for a colonoscopy because they're like, well, maybe we'll just do an endoscopy from the front and a colonoscopy from the back. And I almost canceled it because like, it's not fun to go do a colonoscopy prep. And I was busy and, you know, I had lots on the go and I had already, they'd already pushed me back because they're like, you know, we kind of need to get the older high risk, you know, cancer patients in. Do you mind if we delay you six months? I'm like, sure. I'm not really looking forward to this. Like I already feel so sick all the time. What's another six months of like, this is my normal. And then I went in for the colonoscopy and I just didn't come out of the appointment. So my husband was waiting. We get sedated in Canada. So I like wasn't awake. And my husband was like, man, like they're taking a really long time. Like I thought, you know, they said it would be like 15 minutes in and out. They're like, oh, poor Jen. It must be the person in front of her. That's like having some kind of a problem. No, it was me. They were in me for a really long time and they were trying to figure out what the heck they saw. And so as I came out of the sedation and came to, and I've worked in the medical system long enough, you never want to hear the words, we need to talk to you in the private room. So I came out, I'm like dozy and waking up and they're like, we need to chat with you privately. And I was like, okay, this is, this is not good. So the doctor kind of sits me down and he's like, we found something. And I was like, okay, like, is it like diverticulitis? Like I'm a a GI dietitian. I know all, is it polyps? Like what's going on? He's like, no, we had to take some pathology samples. We're going to send it off for testing. We can't conclusively say, but we found a mass in your colon in a, in a couple places and we got to figure out what it is. And I like looked him dead in the eye and I was like, is it cancer? And he's like, we can't say. And I was like, no, like you need to be, shoot me straight here. Like, is this cancer? And he's like, okay, 50, 50. I was like, okay. So I go home. They, they have me back a few days later to try to like talk through it. And they're like, yeah, we're not still quite sure. So we're going to elevate your pathology. And they sent it to two other pathology sites in Canada. So I'm in London, Ontario. We have a huge mega cancer center in my city. And they sent it for two second opinions because they were very confused. So it got sent to McMaster Hospital in Hamilton. And then they elevated it all the way to Ottawa. And they had another pathology team look at it, which I didn't realize was as, as atypical as it was until they took 21 days to get the news back to me. So I sat there for 21 days, waiting and waiting. I, I, you know, ended up booking an appointment with a therapist just to be like, I'm in a lot of like emotional discomfort. I'm a big girl. Like I know how to manage this without like hurting myself, starving myself, like stress eating. I was like time to pull out the big toolbox. And so she's like, okay, you know, let's, let's process this. Let's wait and see. And then the way that they communicated communicated it to me, I like am still recovering from. It was a rainy October evening. I remember this like it's like etched in my brain forever. A dark, stormy night, a few days before Halloween. And I'm about to go teach a night class at the university. So I start teaching at 6:30 p.m. and it's like 5:58. So I just have to about leave. And a blocked number calls me. And whenever a block number calls you, you know it's the hospital, or in our town, it's the hospital. So I pick it up and it's the, the guy that did my, my um, pathology. And he's like, is this Jennifer? And I was like, yes. He's like, are you, he's like, I have something to tell you. I was like, okay. So he's like, we have your results. It's positive for cancer. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Do you have any questions? Click. Oh, wow. That was how I was told you have colon cancer. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you have any questions for me? Okay, we'll call you later with more information. Click. And I'm just like, I was calm on the phone. Like I didn't start crying. I was, I, I was in shock. I was actually in shock. And I was like, yes, it's me. Okay, I understand. No, goodbye. Like that was my phone call of like, your life is now changed forever. You have cancer. Like you would call me in at least. So then it like hits me. So my husband owns a CrossFit gym and he was coaching at the time. So I get on the phone and I try to call my husband and I was like, oh my gosh, like I have to tell him, like I have cancer, like what is going on here? And then because he was coaching, he's like so professional. He puts his phone on silent. Like he, you know, was like there for his clients. So I'm like, how do I reach him? So then the next call I make is to like one of our like top long-term, most amazing clients. I know he always trades, you know, at the six o'clock class. I'm hoping I can catch him coming into class. Can't reach him. I call his wife. I'm now like in tears at this point. And she's like, what? Like your dog has cancer. I'm like, no, I have cancer. And she's like, oh my God. I'm like, can you call your husband and try to get your husband to tell my husband he has to call me? Like he needs to just call me right now. And then I obviously called my parents to be like, cause they kind of knew I was waiting for pathology report. So they're like, we're on our way. Like they live an hour away. We're coming to London. Like we're on our way, like just hang tight. So in the true, maybe workaholic professional that I am, I'm teaching a class of a hundred students in 30 minutes. And I was like, oh man, if I just don't show up on them, I'm gonna have a hundred students emailing me, a hundred students upset. I do these little fun participation activities that for anyone who comes to class, this is my first year class. I'm like a super softy with my first years. They do these like fun little nutrition learning activities. And as long as they participate, they get a percent off their final mark. Like up to 10%. So I was like, okay, these students know today's an activity day. So I like get it together. I like wipe up my mascara and my tears. I get in my car and I drive to class and I'm like, Hey guys, I tell a little white lie. I'm not feeling the best. I think they might have a GI bug. I just don't want to pass it on to you guys. So let's quickly do your activity. I want to make sure you guys all get your point and you get your learning activity done. I actually had already pre-recorded my video from the summertime because I taught a half online, half in-person class. So I was like, don't worry guys, I have today's lecture recorded. So I'm gonna go load that in your student files. You can watch me teach tonight's presentation. So you're not behind on your midterm. I'm so organized, I already had their midterm ready. So it was like photocopied, ready for next week. I just didn't wanna impact their learning because of my health crisis. So I like hold it together. I stay there for half an hour. We do the learning activity. I get the video on. I'm like, if you guys want to go home and watch this from home, like this is in your file. I'll put it on the computer here if you want to stay as a class and watch me teach. But yeah, my GI tract's a little bit upset and I think I might be coming down with something. I'm just going to excuse myself and go home. So like held it together. I just didn't want to freak them out. And, uh, and yeah, just until I knew more of what was happening, I didn't want to negatively impact their learning. So I go home and my amazing husband's there with like the biggest bouquet of flowers. My parents were there. They picked up like one of my favorite meals from, you know, a restaurant in town. I obviously didn't have much appetite. I like choked back a couple pieces, but it's just that like not in your stomach of dealing with the worst news ever. And then that Friday, I was about to go give a workplace wellness talk in another city. I was like, I'm not going to cancel on them. Like, there's nothing I can really do about this. I'm not going to sit at home and stew. So as I'm just about to leave, I get called back to the hospital for another emergency consult. 
and they're like, okay, we have more bad news. You don't actually have colon cancer. You have cancer in your colon, but it didn't start from there. So you are now in a stage three or stage four diagnosis position. This is really, really advanced. And we got to get you in for surgery, like immediately, like, like yesterday you needed to be in surgery. And I was like, oh, okay. So they're like, again, go home. We'll call you. And I was like, okay. But I had the sense. And if anyone ever has bad news, get copies of your medical files. So I was like, can I have a copy of my CT scan? Can I have a copy of my pathology? Can I have a copy of my blood work? And they're like, yep. And so I asked them for that before I left. This saved my life. So I had copies of my scan and my pathology. And so it also kind of shows you the value of your relationships and your connections. I don't mean to like pull strings, but I am a medical healthcare provider and I do know a lot of you know doctors and other people. And so we sent it along to a family friend that's like a high level surgeon in Toronto. And she was like, this is really, really bad. She has one of the most deadly ovarian cancers in the world. This has a really high death rate because everyone was like tiptoeing around the news. Right. So the thing that was so weird is I kept waiting for someone to say, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. We caught it early. It's not that advanced. It's going to be okay. No one would say that. Everyone was very careful with their words and like very somber. Like I could pick up the tone and I just, I was like, this is really bad. And no one will actually say the words. This is really bad. So I sent it to this doctor just to get her second opinion. And she's like, like, this has to be taken out of her, like, like right, right now. Like she does not have another day, another week, another month to waste. And so she actually passed it on to one of the top um, gynecological surgeons in Canada based out of Toronto. They had me, I sent that to her on Saturday they had me in for my pre-op appointment on Monday, like that Monday. And I was basically in surgery a week and a half later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thank goodness, like the power of your network, the power of having friendships and being a good person. Like I felt like the universe all the times I call it this, my care bear love. I have this really dorky thing that I do. I loved the care bears when I was a kid growing up and you know, their warm fuzzy stomach where they like blast love and happiness and positivity. Whenever I work with one of my nutrition clients, especially when they're hurting, I always try to send them like good energy and love. Um, it's really cheesy and dorky. And I don't always even tell them that I'm doing that, but it just like is a way for me to give them like to fill them up. And in a weird way, when I got cancer, I almost felt I'm going to sound like a wacko. So I apologize to the people that like, I'm really scientific, I swear, but I'm going to start to sound really woo woo for the next little bit. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. It's a part of my healing and my journey. I felt like the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, took so much good energy I'd been putting out for years and years, and it got like bounced off a mirror. And what I put out came back a hundred, a thousand fold. Suddenly, the right people started to show up and help me. I had a rowing friend from 10 years prior that I rode varsity with. And she's like, I don't know if you followed like my professional journey since we were colleagues or since we were like teammates. I'm now a top American cancer researcher. I'm super in the clinical trial space. Would you like me to look up clinical trials specific to what you have? Um, I won't get nosy if you don't want me to, but I'm here to help if you would. And I was like, yes, please. So she made phone calls and sent emails. She got me into the best ovarian clinical trial in Canada with Canada's best highest ranked ovarian cancer doctor. Like 
what a gift this teammate of mine from rowing, varsity rowing 10 years prior did for me. Um, I had a crazy thing where my, my newer rowing team from Western decided to do a little fundraiser and I got on the local news and I didn't even know that the news was gonna be showing up. And some guy in Michigan saw our, our news segment, saw our CrossFit London logo in the background of me doing like, you know, ring rows as I'm recovering from surgery. And he called our gym, not knowing my husband was connected to CrossFit London and that it was my gym. And he's like, are you connected to the cancer girl? This is gonna sound really weird. My wife was ovarian cancer. She was told she was supposed to die tell your wife to look into ginger supplements. They, he's like, again, she doesn't have to take it, but like, I just felt like I had to pick up the phone and call you and give this advice. And then this like gruff old man hangs up the phone. So Dave's like, uh, I got this weird phone call from this guy in Michigan who saw you on the news, whose wife had ovarian cancer, who said, you, and so I'm a nerd. So I go into PubMed and I start reading all the scientific literature on ginger and ovarian cancer. And I was like, oh, there's a ton of legitimacy to this. So I added that supplement into my recovery regime. Like I have like a hundred weird stories of just all of this help that came from nearby and far away and strangers and close people. I mean, another story is I ended up going hiking in the Alps and that year of cancer recovery and my massage therapist was a 20 year ovarian cancer survivor and we're just chit-chatting as I'm on the table. And she's like, oh yeah, I was also told like I had no chance of living if I can be a message of hope. Like, so I felt like the universe kept putting these beams of hope. So I got my pathology reports on Friday, send them to a friend that's a doctor on Saturday. I'm in for a pre-op appointment Monday. I'll tell a little funny story. My favorite, you have to answer all these questions for the anesthesiologist to help them figure out like how to dose you. And so one of the questions was like, how many flights of stairs can you walk continuously? And I think they're trying to look at like your level of fitness. Right. I was like, well, I've done the CN Tower race. And I think that's like, I don't know, 117 or 125 flights of stairs. And I did that in like 15 minutes. So I like wrote that as a joke on my like intake form. I'm like, I don't know. I think I can do 125 flights of stairs running continuously. If that helps you, like it kind of goes to show like how fit and how cared for I was. So anyways, I get into <laughs> cancer surgery, all this like funny backstory. So I get into surgery and, you know, things kind of start going badly. So first they can't get the epidural in my back. So this like giant long needle missed the mark. And I was like, like waiting to go in and they're like, okay, we're going to stop. Like you're getting that part. You're not going to have numbing when you come out, but like, obviously we'll sedate you. Like you're going to be under anesthesia. And then I, in my operation had more cancer than they realized. And I have low-grade ovarian cancer, and I have high-grade ovarian cancer. The high-grade grows crazy fast, and you usually die 12 to 24 months. The low-grade is like a tent caterpillar nest where it grows really, really slowly, and it makes a big fuzzy web, and it adheres to all your organs in your abdominal cavity. So it clings to your liver, your digestive tract, your spleen, your pancreas. Like, and I, you know, I kind of ask, like I shoot me straight. I was like, how do people die from this? And they're like, we cut it out, but then the small cells remain and the fuzz grows back. So then we cut out more organs and the fuzz remains and it grows back. And then they're like, we run out of body parts we can cut out and then it suffocates your organs. And like, you're going to die of infiltration to your digestive tract and malnutrition. Like it's a pretty horrible way to go. Yeah. So, and the, because like, again, there's two markers and I had neither. 
CA125 is a blood marker for ovarian cancer. Most people have an elevated CA125, perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. So they did blood work when they were those two years of like, something's wrong, but we don't know what's wrong. Mine didn't elevate. And then they did a CT scan and they're like, there was no tumors because it's a big fuzz. It wasn't like a nice rock hard ball where you're like, oh yeah, there's a tumor. We'll cut around it. We got good margins. It's gone. It just creates this like tent caterpillar nest inside of you. So they get inside and they're like, oh, this is attached to everything. So it was on my appendix, in my um, uh, ileocecal valve, which is the valve that connects your small intestine to your large intestine. So they took out that valve, they took out my appendix, they took out my sigmoid colon, that's where they discovered the cancer in my colonoscopy. I lost my uterus, I lost my ovaries, I lost my cervix, I lost a third of my bladder. There's a whole bunch of momentum, which is like blood vessels and fat. It's like a big curtain that hangs off your digestive tract. It was totally you know, infiltrated into the myomentum. So they had to take a whole bunch of blood vessels out and digestive tract. And they basically like re-sewed my GI tract back together. But because you're kind of in like a stirrups position and they call this a lean person injury, they said I didn't have enough fat in the crease of my leg where it was like in this like squat position. So my femoral nerve um, to my femur got pinched. Oh. And because I was like that for five hours, I woke up and my leg was paralyzed. So I came out of sedation and I had this like floppy noodle leg. And I was like, I can't wiggle my toe. And they're like, what? And I was like, okay, look at my left leg. I can move my left leg. I'm concentrating on my right foot and nothing's happening. And they're like, what? And so they sent their neurological team and they're like, oh no, you don't have a working right leg anymore. So I have a scar that goes from my like breastbone to my pubic bone. I think I got 32 staples. Like I, I've experienced pain. Like I've like cut my ear to the center and broken fingers and sideways and broken my collarbone. This was like a million out of 10 on the pain scale. Like I've never been in so much pain. And then the nerve pain felt like I had an ice pick in my quad. And then like, you know, when you go to physio and they attach the, like, um, the electrodes where it sends like electrical impulses, but like turned up to a thousand, like on the most like cruel pain setting that if you wanted to torture someone, that's what the nerve pain felt like. And it just was constant. So they had to put my legs in these like airbag things and they had to like shake my legs and it just like went back and forth to try to shake blood flow because I couldn't really, I guess when the muscles go limp and the nerves go limp, like blood circulation doesn't work as well. So they were like shaking my legs and I was in this machine to just like make, try to get my leg to work. So I had to learn how to walk with an upright walker where I would walk with one leg and I would drag my noodle leg behind. And then they had to train me how to safely go upstairs to not fall off of like one leg. Thank goodness for CrossFit. I basically did things, two arms, one leg. Mm -hmm. And they said, it's probably gonna take you about six months to like walk again. Like it's be prepared, you're not gonna be walking. So, um, and I didn't get fed for a week. This is kind of embarrassing. I had to prove I could fart and they wouldn't give me food till I could prove I could move gas out. And I, with the GI tract being sewn, it, it didn't work. Like I, I couldn't. So I was a week of being malnourished. It was eight days before I got food in because I had to fast for two days prior to surgery. And then all of a sudden my GI tract was getting more and more distended. And they thought sometimes after surgery, you can get like your bowels get caught in a loop and then you get necrosis where your GI tract starts to die. 
and they thought I was actually starting to become necrotic. And they're like, they almost put me back in for another emergency surgery where I was like, oh my gosh, if they cut all these staples out and open me back up again, I was like, I can't go through that again. Like it was so painful, but you know, I had to go through two CT CT scans because they wanted to see like what my digestive tract was doing. And I like, I worked for that fart. Like I have (laughs) never, ever worked to fart as hard. I was like, please get some air out of my, like out of me. Cause I was like, I'm so hungry. I need to eat. And I farted. It was the worst smelling thing. And my husband was in the room and he like started to laugh. And I was like, don't laugh at me. I can't help this. But it's like a funny moment. Like I can look back and it's like, it's funny, right? Like you can't help yourself. So you know, I finally get food and I can only handle a few bites and it's like disgusting hospital scrambled eggs. But I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. Cause I'm like eight days without eating. And I get sent home with a limp paralyzed leg in a diaper. Cause I can't control my GI tract yet. I've had like massive GI surgery and I'm just kind of left to fend for myself. So my husband is the most amazing human in the world. He was my nurse. He still ran his CrossFit gym. He had to do like needle injections in my leg to make sure I didn't die of like a blood clot. Cause that's really common post major abdominal surgery. I mean, he would carry me up our stairs to like support me and like hold me in the shower because I couldn't even stand up to like bathe myself. I, I, you don't even realize how helpless you are. Like it was like being an infant. Like I, my mom and my, and Dave like took turns caring for me. And I just like had to lie in a hospital bed and had to use a walker to get around the house. And all I did is I I kept my healthy routine. So when I was able to go to CrossFit, I still went like five or six times a week and I just started my physio. So I would walk around the gym with my walker and my little dog, Carly, my, my best friend, she just walked beside me really slowly. And my first workout is I walked one loop around the gym And then I sat down and I tried to do a second loop and Dave's like, that's enough. So I like sat down and day one, I did one loop of a walker. And then, you know, I came back to day two and I was like, maybe I can do a loop and a small loop, like a loop and a half. And like anything, you just meet your body where it's at and forward is forward. Better is better. Do the best you can where you are with what you have. So my workouts were literally just learning how to walk. And little by little, I started walking with like, you know, like, uh, like crutches and then a cane. And so I had a cane for a long time, but I always like to set goals to like, keep myself moving forward. And so I like to also like, you know, beat what's expected of me. So like, okay, it's going to be six months to walk. I'm like, how do I do that in three? And in three months I was doing like PVC tube CrossFit, but I was like standing independently and doing PVC tube super scaled CrossFit. And then I was like, okay, you know what? I want to be on a surfboard six months. Like I want to go show them that I can stand on a surfboard and surf in the ocean. So I set a goal to learn how to like to surf. And we flew out to Tofino, British Columbia. And I also taught myself how to ride a motorcycle because my husband's really into riding motorcycles and I would normally be his passenger. And we're like, let's go do a motorcycle and surfing trip. So like seven months after surgery, I'm surfing in the ocean in the Pacific in Tofino, like, and hiking. And like, it was the best. And then later that summer, we like hiked the Alps through Europe and we hiked um, France and Switzerland and Italian around Mont Blanc. And then, you know, and then even with my business, I had to, this is kind of how Prosper came to be. I used to think I was the magic secret to nutrition or X's success, but it really wasn't me. 
it was the way we counsel our clients. It was this motivational interviewing and the gamification and the activities. So I was like humble enough to go, maybe I can download my brain into videos. And if I can share and not think I have to do it all, but actually delegate more effectively and, and not hog my knowledge, but share my knowledge with other health coaches, maybe things will be okay. And it doesn't need me there all the time. Um, kind of like Mike Michalowicz is like, you know, run like clockwork. How do you learn how to be, get, stop being the rate limiting factor of a successful business? And the gift of cancer is I had to, like, mm. I actually didn't have another choice. I had to download my brain and give control away to someone else. And the business came back even better than how I left it. I was like, oh my gosh, this like really works. Like you can teach people to coach like this and they can have phenomenal success as health coaches. And then I got kind of back into the routine of working and I got asked to like take what I was training my team and make a training module for this other company I was working with at the time. And that's, that's kind of what we did. And then I met Lindsay Van Schoik along this journey and we just hit it off. And she just, that girl can sell that girl's knows, knows her business stuff. I mean, I think I'm a pretty good business owner too, but I especially love the sphere of like teaching coaches, how to be great coaches, teaching clients, how to be great eaters where they love and care and respect and, you know, honor their body. And so we just decided to like combine super forces and lo and behold, as of like May of 2022, Prosper Nutrition Coaching is born. So that's the crazy backstory wow. of like how this came to be and the power of a word. I will say one more thing that year I was told I was get my will in order. Like your, your time is really short. Like I really was talked to, like I was going to be dying that year. The word I picked for myself was unstoppable. I knew I couldn't control the outcome. I made peace with the fact that death was maybe very close. And that was like a big, hard thing to process and go through in therapy to like, to be in your young thirties and kind of realize you might not get to 40 or I might not grow old with my husband. Like I'm going to get emotional, but that's the part that was like, I, I want to grow old with my husband. I love this guy so much. He is like my rock. And just to feel robbed that I wouldn't get that time with him or my family or my friends, like life is so short when you get that news. And so I was like, I can't control the outcome. I can control my behavior, my mindset, my choices, my positivity, who I surround myself with, and also just my acceptance. Like there's a huge acceptance piece and it's, we all actually don't know how much time we're going to get. And so I just picked the word unstoppable to like, give me the strength on the hard days and ground me. But I was also really at peace that this could be it. This, this I might get three months, six months, a year. And I'm now three years out. I'm not fully in that five-year five year place. It very much could come back, but I'm so at peace with the way I live my life. And like every day is a great day. Like every day I'm like, yes, I get another day. I can't believe I get another day to go do this. Yeah. So that's, that's the entire crazy backstory of how I came to be here today. Yeah. Well, it's, it's tough when you're, uh, I'm sitting here listening to this story and there's about three chimes where I'm like, okay, you can't cry because that would be silly. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, it's an incredibly inspiring story. And, you know, I talk a lot about with, with the men that I work with, I talk a lot about, uh, you need to live every day. Like it could be your last day. Yeah. And I've actually interviewed men who have had those last days mm -hmm. and were prepared 
and mm. and the the legacy for their family and the and all of that it makes so much of a difference i mean it's yeah. i love that unstoppable i think it's i got the word right right it's unstoppable, <laughs> unstoppable. Yeah. yeah that's my word you are unstoppable and i've learned <laughs> that really quickly about you getting to know you and that is an incredibly inspiring um story from from nutrition to to cancer i mean those are those are things that touch everybody's lives yeah. Yes. So I appreciate you telling that story so much, so much. Thank you. Um, we, we'll have the, all the ways to connect with you in the show notes, which there's a lot of them because you just do so much. Um, but, you know, Nutrition RX and Prosper, Nutrition Coaching, um, and just you, people, I'm sure people want to now watch you unfold. Yeah. I, I was, I'm new to your Facebook, new-ish, and, and that's where I saw the cancer yeah. I was like, oh, my dad had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma mm. and he had a lot of his digestion, di- uh, I don't know, intestine. Digestive tract cut out or affected. Cut out. Yeah. And yeah. so you you were speaking something that we've walked through and I know how incredibly yeah. difficult that is and the, the adjustments that have to be made. So it's yeah. a big impact. Thank Jennifer. you. I mean, yeah, for anyone that wants to follow, I, I keep it pretty real on Facebook and Instagram and I share the sad parts, but I share the highlights of it. And I share the funny parts too, because right. you can always find some funny, happy parts, even in a really, I mean, I'm not trying to minimize anyone going through cancer. It's so scary and so painful and, and such a difficult thing, but also sometimes finding those funny parts and laughing at myself, like made the hard days a little bit easier too. Yeah. That's awesome. Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I'm so touched that I, you know, someone even wants to listen. And if I can impart even like a nugget of wisdom or change someone's life or give them some hope, like hope helped me so much. So I hope that can do that for someone listening today. Well, I tell you what, just even listening, I was like, I'm going to send a, before we even go to production, I'm going to send a, this recording to, and I was had a, like a list of people in my mind. Uh, so I know there's so many in, in people that could be impacted by the story. So Thank you very much. And thank for the, yeah, for the listeners, thank you for uh, tuning in because you, you got the gift of this story and I hope that it, it brings some value to you. And if it doesn't, you're, you got some problems. Uh, <laughs> please <laughs> rate, subscribe to the podcast and um, share this with other people and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.